Hello, I'm DJ Evil Dave. And I'm Dr. Brandy Sexy Voice. And you're listening to the Dark Corner Podcast. Brought to you by Gentleman's Grindhouse Records.com. Picking up after it's over. Shutting up confetti soldiers. We've given all we've got. Sleep, walking, or waking. Days can be forsaken. Not Hey. A week later, it's like the old days when we were recording weekly. That was fun <laughs> for a while. And then as our lives changed and lives, lives. as our lives changed. It's like dwarves and dwarfs. It's like neither <laughs> one's really wrong. So it's lives and lives. <sighs> it's going to be a long podcast with me making a lots of errors with the words that I say. And here I am anticipating this one to be one of the shorter episodes well, so it's just going to seem long while I'm doing it because I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. Ooh. How long it takes to record is not necessarily indicative of the final product. Uh-huh. But then if there's mistakes that are bad enough that I edit them out, it'll be a really short podcast. Regardless. Or just, irregardless. Uh-huh. No. Sorry, my movie trailer. <laughs> yeah, they all do that now. It's like, uh, flash a picture and fade it to black. Flash and fade to black. Why is everything Inception now? Flash. That's that's why, uh, at least when they did the first Guardians of the Galaxy 2 trailer, at least it was in beats to the music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead so of being slow that. blinks to a foghorn. Yeah. Um... Shrug. I, I have. What? Speaking of, did you see any new trailers when you went to see Doctor Strange again, or they just? There was one going on when we got there for a movie that probably shouldn't exist. That I don't remember what it was called or what it was really about, except it was geared towards kids, and they were all at a school which stifled creativity, and so they decided to break all of the rules in the rule book and expose their principal for being a twat. I thought when you said break all the rules, I thought it was going to be something like The Purge, but with little kids, which would be kind that, of an awesome movie. That would have been so much better. It'd be like uh, Battle Royale. I guess this could be the kitty version of The Purge. Oh. Hmm. But, yeah. I so mean, spit wads, essentially, is as bad as it gets. They seem like they're junior high students, but, uh-huh. you know, they act in very juvenile ways with their pranks and breaking of the rules. So, so it's probably 70-year-old screenwriters writing to what they think is that age level and overcorrecting. Not necessarily. Uh-huh. It could just be that someone wanted to churn out a Nickelodeon-like movie as fast as possible. And make a few bucks. But I have, I can't remember the name of the movie, nor did I know this movie existed until I came in halfway through the trailer. <laughs> you can tell how memorable it is because I can't remember the name. Fair enough. Well, sometimes I don't remember the name of half the movies of the trailers I see, so. Yeah, and then I had to sit through the fucking Transformers trailer again. <laughs> so sick of that trailer. Roll out. Any other th- 
things you want to banter about? Not really. <laughs> Shall we get into some obsessions then? Okay. It's obsession. Uh-huh. It's obsession. Brandy is tired. It's been a long week. It's been a long week. No. No! <laughs> Fucking hate that goddamn song! How dare you! I still do that sometimes when a show starts like Enterprise started. I'll mm. sing that theme song. God, I hate that song. Just because it became so cliched with that TV series. It was a terrible song. It was, especially use. for a Star Trek series. It's just, do a theme. Well, it's, it's a terrible song no matter what series, yeah. but... Yeah, it's especially, that yeah. Stadium rock thing. Oh, God. Yeah. Rock ballad. Don't you ever sing that song on this podcast again. Okay. Ever. I'll try not to unless it's we're doing a movie commentary and they do a shot like we're watching some this, kind of sci fi okay. thing, like The Martian or something, and you see planet Earth. Okay, fair enough. All right. But other than that, this podcast is going to be stupid theme song from Enterprise Free. Okay. I don't even know the title of the song, and I don't fucking care. <laughs> I don't even remember the artist. Uh, obsessions, then? Yes, go on. So, back into Dungeons & Dragons and creating my own realm in which to tell stories. I've been creating hex grid maps of the various nations, and it's kind of linking them together like puzzle pieces. <laughs> So it's a fun way to determine what the topography is, you know, where your lakes and rivers are, your mountains, your forests, your deserts, your beaches, uh, key cities, fortifications, villages, places of interest, major roads, uh, captain roads, <laughs> lieutenant roads. General roads. General roads. Admiral roads. Lieutenant roads. Lieutenant. <laughs> Rear Admiral Rhodes, who you gotta, you know, don't turn your back on that guy. Oh, God. So I've been having a lot of fun with that and using my pages on my laptop and just plopping hexagons here and there and determining what their color is to determine if it's. If they're going to be banned from entering the U.S., even with a valid green card or visa. All right, yeah. What? Way to go. Oh, color as in color of skin. <laughs> I didn't even register that as like, what is the A to C connection there? It wasn't an A to C. It was an A to B, but I I lost that that track. What? Because I'm talking about creating nations and, you know, there's possibilities some might close their borders to others. And those are run by oligarchies. So I have green hexagons be forest, blue ones are water, gray ones are mountains, and brown ones are fields and plains. Black and white ones are really furry cats. And then kind of a peachy yellow is the deserts and beaches. It's a lot of fun. So far, I think my favorite is the central one because it has little bits of geography from the surrounding ones. So a little bit of desert here, a little bit of lake there. And it has a point where two rivers cross. Then a major city right smack dab in the center where the road passes through. So they kind of control the trade route from the southwest to the northeast because it passes right through that major city. She's smiling at me because I'm nerding out, and she finds that adorable. And yeah, it's really interesting terrain. There's a giant mountain to the southeast. So, yeah, fun stuff. And I recently completed the Naropa one, which is a major bay, and a lieutenant bay. And <laughs> there it goes. You're in. my bay. Yep. And it has neat outcropping where... An, 
a naval base is located, so there will be like a fleet of ships around there. And that's largely controlled by organized crime. Yay, mob bosses. About four more to complete. So it's it's fun and a lot quicker than I thought it would be because once I have one map, I can just save it to a different name and then just change colors around and move some hexes around and create a new map. Do a hex bolt like Scarlet Witch? Hex bolt. Sorry, I'm doing the thing you usually do. No, that's perfectly <laughs> acceptable. Notice I didn't get after you for it. Hex bolt. It's a Marvel Puzzle Quest joke. Well, isn't that something she does in the comics? Uh, not that I know of. Usually it's just her altering reality. But, you know, that makes her too powerful. Well, she's more of a person in the Avengers. I mean, she showed up every once in a while in the X-Men because being Magneto's daughter, you'd see her every once in a while. But generally, I don't know much about the Scarlet Witch other than her relationship with the Vision. I know that she had the most ridiculous outfits of maybe any oh, Marvel yeah, character. Because it's basically her wearing a bustier. Well, not just that. It was the headpiece. Oh, the, so the spiky headpiece? Yeah, it's just like, n- nobody goes around wearing this shit. Come on. Yeah. So why I like the 80s X-Men is there's something kind of punk rock about them. It's like they're still costumes. You could still recognize them as their character, but there's something more realistic about it. I think that was due to combination of Claremont and John Romita Jr. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is people who bitch about costumes not being the same in the cinematic universe need to get a clue. (laughs) You can't do it like in the comics because it's ridiculous. I don't know because they did a pretty good job with Captain America. Though he doesn't have the wings on the head. That's not the same. Iron Man looks pretty good, but that's different because it's an iron suit. Yeah, again, not the same. Spider-Man's a little tricky because... His colors are a little gaudy. Okay, again, you're picking the wrong examples. I'm talking about like in the first X-Men movie when they put everybody in black leather. Right. Because to put them in their actual outfits would be ridiculous in live action. I think they improved upon that with First Class because it was reminiscent of the 60s X-Men where they did have their blue outfits blue and yellow outfits you just can't have someone like scarlet witch running around in her costume from the comics right in live action or wolverine with his yellow and blue outfit yeah which is like don't you know ninjutsu and stuff (laughs) you're going around in yellow and blue i mean a lot of the outfits are just ridiculous yeah well they're four color comics you know they're meant to leap off the page and so when you put them on the screen it's like you said they Start to look ridiculous. I mean, they still gave her a bustier. And sorry about that. I thought my phone was on silent, and it obviously was not. (laughs) It's okay. It was regarding a performance we're going to do tomorrow. And several performances. And several, apparently, because... Well, a few. Because a few is like three to five, right? Yeah, three to five. That's a few. And basically all. All all of the performances of this particular type of show. So four shows, which is a little surprising because it's not my strong suit. I'm best with pun games rather than character work. But we're doing this thing that Calvin, who is one of the workshop instructors with Sasquatch Cowboy, is doing wedding toast for the month of February every Saturday at... Did she, he change the time it starts? Or is no, it 9.30. 9.30 each night? Yep, so we're basically going to do improvised wedding toasts to couples in the audience. Yeah, we obviously have to get a couple to interview so we can get fodder. If you go on my Facebook page, there's actually a video of a uh, local newspaper's web series show 
Yep. Gosh, I can't speak English. That <laughs> <Me either. laughs> uh, they they came to our Tuesday night practice to get practice with a real couple. They they interviewed us, and then they did their wedding toasts, which were eerily accurate. <laughs> so yeah, your grandmother, my friend, well, our friends, Brett and Blaine. The funny thing is, it turns out John actually knows Blaine. Yep. But my favorite bishop. Yeah, the bishop. My absolute favorite had to be Natasha. Oh, Natasha, my coworker. <laughs> I work from... with Dave at his job. <laughs> <laughs> An indisposed working scenario. Yeah, it was. It was so undisclosed. Funny. That's the word. See, I could tell you I couldn't speak English. I, I undisclosed. I think I knew what you meant. Yeah, I said indisposed. Which means something different. So that was about that. Sorry. Sorry. Back on track. Uh, maps. <laughs> maps and shit. Maps and shit. Oh, I was done. So we were okay. fine moving on to the wedding toast scenario thing before we get to your obsession. So my obsession, let's be honest, it's still Adventure Zone, but I have also been watching a shit ton of Rift Tracks. Yeah, you have. Because they have put a lot of them out on Amazon Prime and they don't keep them out there forever. No. So I got to get through them while I can. I watched the riff tracks of Manos Hands of Fate. Hands of Fate? Hands of Fate. Yes, they did a Mystery Science Theater of that. But with Mystery Science Theater, they always cut out parts of the movie to fit it in to the hour and a half time thing with their in-between segments. With this, it's just the whole movie. And oh dear God, if you thought it was bad before... Watching the whole movie really brings home the experience that this is an abomination that should have been thrown into the furnace and buried and then the earth salted. <laughs> it is so, so bad. And they made it so, so funny. It's funnier than the Mystery Science Theater version. With Torgo. Torgo. I remember Torgo in the straw hat <laughs> and his weird jittery way of walking. Oh, it's so bad. And then the robe that actually has two red handprints on it. Mm-hmm. And weird. how they didn't actually have any microphones while filming it, and so they had to go back and redub everything. Yep, ADR. And, uh, oh, God, it, it's so bad. There's just scenes of people staring at something for, like, what feels like <laughs> ten minutes. Yep. Not saying anything, just staring. Additional just staring. dialogue recording, I think that stands for. Yeah, it's been joyous. Uh, I watched a really bad Jaws ripoff called The Last Shark. Let me guess it was Italian? Yes, it was Italian, in fact. So many beautiful people and a hell of a lot of mustaches. That would be great for hypnobobs to do, is all the knockoffs. Because they also have one, I think, called Grizzly. Mm. That's basically Jaws, but it's a bear. Mm. Well, this one was so blatantly a ripoff of Jaws because they tried to recreate certain shots from that movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just like, you think we don't know what you're doing? We know what you're doing. So that one is really fun. I have to go back and watch the rest of Cyber Tracker because I was so tired when I was Cyber watching it Tracker. that I fell asleep. But the funniest thing about that one was right at the beginning, and I hadn't got much past the beginning, the Cyber Tracker, which was a cybernetic police officer so robocop basically it's like judge dread but in robot form he's judge jury and executioner well that was the nature of robocop is verhoven wanted to do judge dread but couldn't get the right so he did robocop mm -hmm. which is essentially judge dread he's in this bar that has all these robot decorations and there's one that he scans to see if it's an actual robot and in his visor it's coming up with all the different types of robot and one of them is gort <laughs> nice. and i just i was like oh Oh, this is going to be good. And I was so tired, I fell asleep. 
So I have to go back and watch that one. And Get back. Uh, get back to where you once belong. Yeah. There are so many really terrible movies. It's They make me laugh out loud, those guys. They yeah. really do. Well, they're funny. And, I mean, they've done this forever now that it's just, you know, smooth machine. You know, just well-oiled machine. I fell asleep watching one last night that was just, oh, God, it was so bad. This is definitely something I don't think they would have shown in theaters because there were a lot of topless women in the beginning of this movie. Wow. I mean, this is obviously rated R film that they're doing this mm-hmm. to, but it's just so funny. Because they'll bleep out their own swearing, but they don't bleep out the swearing. <laughs> I mean, they won't say anything worse than shit. If any of them ever drops the F-bomb, they bleep that out, but they don't bleep out the F-bombs in the movie. Or the tits. They they don't <laughs> blur them blur out. Blur them out. They're yeah. just like, cause... Well, I guess when it's riff tracks, when it's like a streaming thing, they don't really have to because they don't have those network specifications. I think the third scene, third or fourth scene in the film involved being in a strip club. And the first thing you see is a shot of a woman with a G-string on. I mean, you for a second I thought, oh my god, am I about to see pussy? (laughs) But no, she had a G-string on. It was just really close to the color of her skin, and that G-string was really far up her crack. That's not how you floss, darling. No, 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 no. That's not how you do that. I enjoy those guys very much, and I look forward to more, because I've still got, like... Probably a dozen that I haven't gotten through. Do that while playing more Puzzle Quest. Yep. So Before you fall asleep. Thumbs up, my Kevin and Bill. Thumbs on iPad screen up, because you'd be playing your game. I don't use my thumbs on Marvel Puzzle Quest. You use your fingertip? Of course. Ah. Why would I use my thumb? I don't know. It's a larger... Kind of like texting. Yeah, but it's a larger surface area, and I'm bound to make more mistakes. Oh, yeah, that's right, because Puzzle Quest is notorious for that, moving the wrong square. Your your classic three-match style gameplay. Yeah. Oh, I have a five-match. Fuck, I moved the wrong tile. God damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I wake you, buddy? Well, he's been awake because we're talking. Yeah, but he was comfortable, and then I said, fuck, really loud. Now, now his meatloaf cat, he has no arms or legs. No, he's, he's hugging the arm of the sofa on that side. Oh, he's laying on his... Limbs on the other side. Uh oh, I got his attention. Nope, he's got an itch. Got an itch. Okay, so, so that does it for obsessions, that. Obsessions. Um, by Calvin Klein. We have what one review? We just tonight caught up on the first season of the Grand Tour, mm-hmm. which is essentially the guys from the classic. British Top Gear show that left and did their own thing on Amazon Prime, or the Amazon streaming service thing, whatever you want to call it. With seemingly a lot more money. Yes, because they travel the world, they set up a tent, they get the local audience to come in to do a show. Quite amazing films that they do as well. It still has the feel of the original Top Gear, but they don't have the celebrity guest. In fact, they kind of poke fun at that in the celebrity brain crack. Crash. Crash? Is it crash or crash? It's crash, Is honey. it crash? Celebrity brain crash. Okay. I guess it is. It is. They keep killing off celebrities. The first time it happened, you're like, what the fuck is going on here? And then it becomes a thing. They hit the exact same beats every time. But in the final episode, they, <laughs> they added something extra. 
Yeah, well, it was the finale, so they wanted to go over the top with the celebrity death. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to talk about it because if you haven't watched it, you really should. If you ever liked any of those guys on Top Gear, you will love this show. It's definitely got the same feel as the original, but they get to go a bit further. There's less censorship, especially in the United States, because you're streaming it. They will believe anything uh, worse than shit. You can say shit, but they'll bleep cunt, <laughs> and, and they'll bleep fuck. Yeah, and they'll show an actual dildo, because there are several times that they play <laughs> jokes on so each other. funny! By strapping a dong to somebody's steering wheel, because, you know, how you have steering, steering knobs. Yeah, well, James had a broken arm. Uh-huh. So he wanted a knob to help him steer, and they attached a knob to a steering wheel. <laughs> yeah. And then there was one time where they put that on his gear shift. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, oh, yeah, it's fun. really fun to see them you know test the cars they don't have the stig anymore it's the american and you get to see his face and he actually talks so yeah he's a nascar driver and basically anything that's not american is communist yep and i don't think he had anything nice to say except about the one american car he drove <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was the only thing he had anything nice to say about i love their track with the isn't straight. Oh, yeah. And the old lady's house. Your name here. Field of sheep. Unexploded bomb. Mm, the things that if they go off track, they could end up hitting. Yeah, it's so funny. It's just entertainment from start to finish. Yeah, it's puerile. Yeah, sometimes it's a bit chauvinist and stuff, but it's funny. And I guess it's one of those things where you have to take it with a grain of salt. I don't find them offensive. Right. I don't feel like they're purposely trying to be male chauvinist pigs. Yeah, I think they've they've toned it down from... Because Top Gear had a bit more of that mm -hmm. when they were on Top Gear. And I think there were some adjustments because times have changed since then. Yeah. And so it's a bit softened and I think they're a bit more um, aware that they have a broader audience. This show has a, a solid five-star rating on Amazon. Oh, yeah. I guess the new Top Gear only wishes it were that good. <laughs> yeah, not well-received, that one. That's what happens when you don't have hosts with charisma. It just shows that you need a certain formula. You know, there's certain chemistry you get between the hosts and also your crew. And the, even the audience. And even the audience, yeah. That it's the creative team behind a show... That often makes the show. And that's why when, within cinema, sometimes they'll fire a director or an editor and put their own guy in there. And that rarely works out. Yeah, it almost never works out. Yeah, because you've got somebody who wasn't there to begin with in, you know, the creative side of things. Trying to create the final product and it just felt, falls flat. They want a tool and so they hire a tool. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I really, I wasn't sure if I would like this show or not, especially with all the controversy or controversy, depending on what country you're in, surrounding their departure from Top Gear. But after the first episode, we were delighted to continue. We got in about six weeks late. Right. And there was we... already a lot of praise coming from people who were not biggest Top Gear fans in the first place. I mean, they don't really care for, it's like I was saying, the, the more controversial moments, but they still liked the Grand Tour and thought it really entertained and was what Top Gear should be. And they literally do go all over the world. Where they had the tent wasn't necessarily where they had the films yeah. that they were going to show during the show. They spent time in Loch Ness. They spent two weeks there. 
with the tent. Yep, it probably wasn't actually two weeks. It was probably a couple of days, yeah, but probably. who cares? Yeah. Germany, in- well, of course, England. America. America in the desert. You even spent some time in Africa. And I found out what my dream car is. Yes. So, you know, I never really had a dream car before, and then I now I do. Everybody's like, what is it? Nobody cares. Sure they do. They're they're asking. It's a Nissan NSX. <laughs> that is what it is, right? <laughs> yes, I believe so. You're, you're more of a gearhead than I am. Yeah, there's an NSX and there's an NRX. The NRX is fine, but the NSX ah. is glorious. What's and that my- letter off? Yeah, my older sister was teasing me about it. She's like, oh, it's only $180,000. And I said, that's why it's a dream car. <laughs> yeah. Yep. What part of dream did you not understand? Well, your father was a mechanic. And so I think he picked up a little bit on that, his love oh, of yeah. cars. He, he had a great appreciation for cars. And that filtered down to all of us. Although probably me more than others. Yeah, I think you're the biggest gearhead of the family. Yeah, and I'm not that big of a gearhead, but I I, I appreciate. Yeah, you appreciate a fine appreciate car. Fine cars. Same definitely. with airplanes and boats and other Vehicles. instruments of travel. So thumbs up on the Grand Tour. It's on Amazon Prime. If you don't have Amazon Prime, I'm very sorry for you. Yep, thirteen episodes. Yep, which is a longer series than what they would have done on Top Gear. Yeah, it's about half your standard American season, I think. Yeah, but it, 13 episodes is more than twice your standard mm-hmm. series of Top Gear in the UK. Yeah, 13 is a mid-season in the US. Well, and they must be planning more, because when we watched the last one, they said, we'll see you again later this year. I'm sure they got so. picked up. Oh, I'm sure they did, with all of the, I mean, with the solid five-star rating. How could you not? Yeah. My favorite phrase is still, Clarkson, you infantile <laughs> pillock, you're tidying that up. Yeah, and that comes from back in the Top Gear days. Yep. I was like, so he's not coming on then. Does that mean he's not coming on then? <laughs> well, James. <laughs> Considering he's chum. <laughs> I'd say that's a no. Yeah, it's the same formula every time, and yet it never ceases to be funny. Yes. So well played, fellows. You gotta play the beats. Oh, and here, here's the funniest part is, uh, Alexa. Oh, she's heard me. She's I, still turned on. <laughs> Alexa, I'm sorry I was not talking to you. Sorry, I didn't understand the question. <laughs> that, that's okay, I wasn't asking a question. Anyway, <laughs> you can set alarms on Alexa. I did not know that you can go into the app and change the volume, the time, if it's going to be recurring or not, and the sound. Now, there are, of course, a variety of boring sounds like you have on your typical phone. Right. It's like basic ringtone sort of things. But then they also have a section called Celebrity. (laughs) And one of the celebrity alarm tones is the guys from the Grand Tour. Nice. And it's really funny to be awakened by three British men. (laughs) Especially when at the end... Clarkson gets tired of the other two debating how they're going to wake up. He says, oh, handle this. Wake up! Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, lordy. So, yeah, that's my alarm tone. Anything else to say about the Grand Tour? Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it with your eyes. And your ears. Hear it with your ears. No, watch it with your ears. Okay. Do the impossible. Watch it with your ears. Well, it is. Hear it with your eyes. Often of quite filmic quality. Cinematic, you mean? Yeah, cinematic. 
a lot of their scenarios are ridiculous and they have to be set up because they film it so well Mm -hmm. just for editing purposes that a lot of what takes place I'm sure is orchestrated but there's other things that I'm pretty sure is like yeah that was not planned very true like trying to turn a Range Rover into some kind of luxury car and then having it fall apart on him because I think the major one where the body came right off the actual structure of it you know the chassis came off essentially was off screen yeah (laughs) you'd think if they actually had that recorded they would have shown it but they showed the aftermath of it like holy crap maybe they would have shown it maybe they weren't allowed to show it we don't know (laughs) if somebody got seriously injured or something no 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 i mean like maybe the company would of the original maker of said chassis would be like oh no you can't show this (laughs) that casts us in a bad light all i know is that a lot of car dealerships must be given a lot of money to let them drive those cars and people who own a certain car and allow them to test drive it or what have you Mm -hmm. very trusting yes and i'm sure money helps especially when they're drifting and that sort of thing yeah it's like there's a lot of money that went into that vehicle just to put it in the hands of somebody who's not that experienced at drifting are we to the dark track already uh, we are. One quick thing. I did. We did hear from Colin on our group. He said that he had almost included the mercy seat. Yes. In his uh, his little mini special, but didn't because of time. And I said thirty seconds wouldn't have been <laughs> a problem. And he's no. like, yeah, but there would have been thirty seconds, and then another minute of me talking about it, I can be long winded. And I said ninety seconds more wouldn't have been a problem. <laughs> Yeah, we don't get a lot of feedback, so if it comes in and it's 10 to 15 minutes long, it's not that bad compared to, you know, if that happens to something like the broadcast or the Black Dog where they get a bit more feedback. Then it's just, they have to edit it for time. We rarely get feedback, so if an MP3 is 10 to 15 minutes long, it's not too big of an issue, especially if it's going to be a shorter show in the, anyway, it kind of helps pad our length. So thanks, Colin. Yeah, thank you, Colin, for the feedback. And seriously, I'm going to get that stuff done for you, I swear yeah, to God. I'm going to prod her to maybe get it done tonight. Well, yeah, it's it's just, uh, it's been a week. I'm so sorry. Dark Trek of the Fortnite. Dark Trek of the Fortnite comes by a band called Iboforsen. Which is necrophobia spelled backwards. Oh. (laughs) They are from Belgium, so they pretty much play EBM. But a variety of electronic music, including stuff like electro-industrial and trip-hop. All your different types of dark electronic music. And it's a band comprised of only two people. That's Benoit Blanchard and... Sebe Dolmont. They're known for having the male growly vocals with the more ethereal female vocals. So kind of a beauty and beast thing, but in electronic form. Right. And typically their song content revolves around the nature of chaos. Being from Belgium, being EBM, being available for me to play pretty much indicates that they're on the Alpha Matrix label. And this particular track is special in that they have yet another special vocalist with them because they like to do that a lot. Abel Forsen does. And that is Jennifer Parkin, also known as Aria. Oh, right. The uh, wonderful EBM artist from Toronto. 
And so the song we have to play for you is Everything Gets Sacrificed. So this is Iboforsen featuring Aria.
one thing to keep in mind with this track is it's a remix, so I think the vocals kind of got drowned out a little bit by bringing up the bass a bit too much. Yeah, yeah, they did. At least in playing off my stereo. Headphones, not as bad as usual. The vocals disappear a bit, which is disappointing as I really like Aria's vocals. I think she has a nice voice for kind of dark pop. Indeed, I like her voice a lot. I wish I could have understood the words she was singing, but I couldn't quite grasp it. In the playing of that for you, the really only thing you kind of pick up on is the get sacrificed line. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because, you know, it's part of the chorus and it stands out, but as for the stanzas, a lot of it gets lost and muddled. Yeah. Though I do like the beat. You know, little bits of zaps and some sampling. Anything you want to say regarding it? Well, I liked it. I just didn't know what it was about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to talk about the the themes of a song when the lyrics get lost in in the mix. I don't think that that was intentional, but what I really hate is bands that continually do that shit. (laughs) It's like, you know what, do you want me to know what your song's about? Then make the lyrics louder. Rosetta Stone's notorious for that. They bury the vocals a lot. If you're gonna have vocals, don't do that, because obviously you have words to that song for a reason, but no one's gonna know that reason if you don't fucking (laughs) bring the vocals out! Unless you don't care about lyrics, some people don't. But then why write a song if, you know, why write words if nobody's gonna hear them? Yeah, that's exactly right. Unless you're like Skinny Puppy when they're kind of stream of consciousness anyway. Well, then just improv them if you want, but either way, if there's lyrics, that means you meant for it to have lyrics. Yes, exactly. So don't bury the lyrics. Right. Because, yeah, if you're a surreal kind of Dada-ish, Dada, Dada, what? If you do Dada, (laughs) whatever the the adjective of that is, Dada-ish, Dada-ick, but, yeah, Dada-like. But if you're a surrealist type band, then, yeah, your vocals could be whatever. Frying pan, Mozart, umbrella. Just sing those over and over again. Umbra staff. Sorry. Um, <laughs> a little touch of the adventure zone there. I, I've been afflicted by it. Afflicted. I'm infected with the adventure so you, zone. You failed your saving throw against the adventure zone. God damn it. It was a wisdom saving throw, too. I thought my wisdom was really high, but I rolled a two. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, at least you didn't boo-boo with the critical miss. Yeah, then then I would be down for the count, man. Yeah. I'd just have to mainline it until it was, you know, until I had nothing left that was new. <laughs> I'm such a silly girl. <laughs> so, yeah, really dug the music. Wish I could hear the vocals a little better yeah. in stereo. I say, Mr. Wilson, how the devil are you, sir? Well, Mr. Provost, I'm rather corking. I don't know about you. I'm spiffing, sir, spiffing. Well, seeing as we finished that lovely show, Shake and Blake, I was wondering possibly we should maybe find a new show to podcast about on that wonderful website, Earth2.net. Oh, what's a spiffing idea? And we could share it on geekplanetonline.com. Why, that we could do that very thing. But what show should we talk about? Good point, old boy. Any suggestions? Well, how about The Prisoner? Ooh. Ah, but that only has one series, old chap. Better think of another. You know what? You're absolutely right. Okay, how about Life on Mars? Life on Mars? Well, that was more than one series, old boy, but I think it only ran to the two. Oh, dash it all. This is damnably difficult. 
How about that charming American show, Firefly? I, I forget how long that lasted for. Oh, I'm afraid that was only the one series. I believe that's taken anyway. Yes, yes. Well, there is that other lovely American show, The Middleman. Ooh! I've never heard of it. Really? Oh, damn. Damn, it's only one series. Ah, oh, for shame, for shame. You know what we could do? What's that, old fruit? We could do all of them. By Jove, what a spiffing idea. Twice as bright, half as long. Coming soon to geekplanetonline.com and earth2.net. Shall we get to the point? Mm-hmm. Yep. Sorry, that was a disguised <laughs> yawn. Not too well disguised yawn. Shut up. I am really tired. You had the day off, but I did not. Well, my day was involved with doing some almost work-like things. <laughs> it's true. Yes, but you didn't have to get up early. No, I did not. So what are we talking about, Dave? We're talking about Supergirl. Supergirl! Try to... Go to this honoring women type year, for the most part. Supergirl didn't get a lot of honor in the beginning. What, representation and that sort of thing? Well, she was basically a support character. Oh, yeah. For quite a while. Yeah, ten years or so? Yep. Before she got her own book? She was introduced in 1959. A number of different characters have assumed the Supergirl mantle over the decades, which actually does not make that much sense. Well, it's comic books, so any comic book you dip your toe in, you're going to run into some continuity issues. Yeah, but the thing is, how many uh, iterations have there been of Superman? He has always been Clark Kent. Clark Kent, Kyle. (sighs) So anyway. But there's been several Thors now. There's been a few Spider-Men. Spider-Man. That's something that's okay, because the thing about Thor, it's all about the hammer. It's all about the hammer. It's all about the hammer. Too legit to quit. <laughs> I can't touch this. <laughs> you can't Literally touch this. cannot touch this. Cannot lift well, it. Oh, you can touch it. You just can't lift it. If you put the you can't hammer, touch this. Nah, nah, if nah, you nah, put nah, the hammer nah, in an nah, elevator, nah, nah. elevator still goes up. The so does that not the elevator not worthy. Elevator worthy. <laughs> Forged in a dwarf star. The most popular and enduring version of the character is Kara Zor-El. Right. Superman's cousin. Same powers. Vulnerability to kryptonite. Yada yada. Powered by the yellow sun. Uh-huh. Eye beams, flight, super strength, invulnerable. In 1969, she became the lead feature in Adventure Comics. Ooh. And then later starred in an eponymous comic book series, which debuted in 1972 and ran until 1974. <laughs> a whole two years. Woo-hoo. A whole two years. <laughs> followed by a second monthly comic book series titled The Daring New Adventures of Supergirl. And that ran for... <gasps> 1982 to 1984. So another two years. Yeah. I'm sensing a theme. (laughs) Well, it gets better. It's a trend. It gets better because in 1985, policies for editorial oversight was was changing at DC. Right. And so Supergirl was killed off in the 1985 limited series Crisis on Infinite Earths. Now, the interesting part about this is a lot of comic book fans identify this as the greatest moment in Supergirl storytelling because she was a support character. She was a character for girly comics until this moment where she rose up and sacrificed herself to save Superman. And that was like the 
character-defining moment. It just so happened to be also the moment where she ceased to exist because she died. Let me explain something to you comic book writers out there. Do you know how to appeal to women in comics? Write a comic with a guy character and then erase the guy character and just put in a female character. (laughs) Have her do all the same stuff that the guy would do. Kick ass, you know, whatever. That's what appeals to women is women kicking ass. And that wasn't Supergirl in the early stages. No. It was essentially just telling the life of a teenager. She just so happened to have superpowers that she'd very rarely use. In fact, Superman was pretty adamant about her not doing anything until she had the proper training. Because even though she's the older cousin, because she got trapped around the orbit of the Yellow Sun... In fact, she kind of got supercharged by it mm-hmm. and it was a little bit too powerful to start that he restricted her and um, being the good little girl that always obeyed, that she just sat in the background and did her own thing. But well, at the same time, that appealed to some people because it was telling the story of a teenage girl's life, which in comic books you didn't see that often except maybe in Archie comics. You know, I don't care. You want to ask I team. know what a teenage girl's life is like. I lived one. Right. And she had a super horse and a super cat. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so after Crisis on Infinite Earths, Several different characters written as having no familial relationship to Superman have assumed the role of Supergirl, including Matrix, Linda Danvers, and Sorel. And then following the cancellation of the third 1996-2003 Supergirl comic book series starring the Matrix Linda Danvers version, a modern version of Kara Zor-El ah. was reintroduced into the DC Comics continuity in issue number eight of the Superman Batman comic book series titled The Supergirl from Krypton. It kind of sucks because basically after Crisis on Infinite Earths, they rebooted the continuity and reestablished Superman as the only person to survive Krypton's destruction. Right. It's like, wow, uh, how, how would it have felt if they'd done that the other way around? I mean, hmm. That killed off, well, they did kill off Superman for a for brief while. For a minute. For a minute. No one stays dead. <laughs> The modern Kara Zor-El stars as Supergirl in a comic book series, in addition to playing a supporting role in various other DC Comics publications. Now here's where it gets interesting. Okay. These are the precursors to Supergirl. The first comic to ever feature a female counterpart to Superman is Lois Lane, Superwoman. Wow. A story published in Action Comics number 60 in May 1943. And a hospitalized Lois dreams she has gained Krypton-esque superpowers thanks to a blood transfusion from Superman. Oh, dear. It's an only a dream? Oh, yeah. That's screenwriting she, hell. Yeah. Uh-huh. She begins her own career as Superwoman, uh, has the copycat costume, adopts the name Superwoman, etc. And then similar stories with Lois Lane acquiring such powers periodically appeared later. Mm. Like in May 1951 in Action Comics number 156, in which Lois accidentally gains the powers through an invention of, I'll give you three guesses. Lex Luthor. Very good. Uh, Lex Corp. And in that story, Lois wears a short blonde wig in her crime-fighting identity, giving her an appearance almost identical to the later version of Supergirl, after the latter's real name was specified as Kara Zor-El. <laughs> then there's Queen Lucy, Supergirl. Okay, this I am <laughs> unaware of. In Superboy number 5, which was November to December of 1949, in a story titled Superboy Meets Supergirl, 
Superboy meets Queen Lucy of the fictional Latin American nation of Borgonia. Borgonia? That's a terrible, terrible name. That sounds like... That doesn't even sound all that Latin. It it sounds Eastern European is what it sounds like. She's a great athlete. She's smart. um, But she's tired of her duties and wants to live a normal life. And so she goes to Smallville and she meets Superboy and wins his heart. Oh. And then he puts on a show where he uses his powers to make her seem superhuman. And during this contest, she is called Supergirl. And a Supergirl, she wears a tan dress with a brown cape and Superboy's S symbol. <laughs> then, of course, Superboy later saves her from a scheming minister. And she returns to her throne, leaving Superboy <laughs> to wonder if she ever thinks of him. Oh, my God, that sounds horrifying. Paul McGann as... The scheming minister. Yeah. Basically, all that women got to do back in these days was get saved. The classic girl in a refrigerator scenario. Yeah. Granted, that wasn't the case in all of the comics, but most of the comics. Yeah. There is always Wonder Woman and but the even, bondage. But even she got tied up a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, um, when her creator was into bondage and discipline, it just goes without saying. Whatever you like to do in your private life, fine. Yep. I don't necessarily want to see it in a comic book. <laughs> That's disturbing. S&M and Polyamorous Affairs from the guy who created the lie detector. <laughs> okay, we've got two more. Claire Kent in Superboy number 78. A story titled Claire Kent, alias Super Sister. <laughs> Superboy saves an alien woman. Oh, fuck. Superboy saves an alien woman named Charla. It's Charla. Come on. Charla. From a life-threatening crash and and then ridicules her driving. <laughs> As opposed to the life-affirming crashes. He, yeah. He ridicules her driving. Lady drivers. Oh, and, wait, she's not Asian. And she got pissed off and turned him into a girl. <laughs> and in Smallville, Clark Kent claims to be Claire Kent, uh, an out-of-town relative who's staying with the Kents. A little bit of Ranma going on there. Yeah, and when in costume, he plays Superman's sister, Super Sister, and claims the two have exchanged places. Well, good thing he's a Kent, because there could be some weird self-exploration going on. Well, this is the good part. As a girl ridiculed and scorned by men, he wants to prove he is as good as he always was, and in the end, it's revealed that the transformation was only an illusion created by Sharla, and he learns not to ridicule women. Well, good. So, good job. Which his parents should have taught him, but there you go. Yeah. So much for Pa Kent. He deserved that heart attack. Oh, oh my God. (laughs) Okay, and then Super Hyphen Girl. Super Hyphen Girl. Yeah, as in there's... Like Spider Hyphen Man. Yeah, exactly. Spider Hyphen Man. Should call him that from now on. It's Spider Hyphen Man. Man. (laughs) Why do you have a hyphen in your name? Why is it just Spider Man? And Hyphen Man. And Hyphen Man. At least it's not Bat-Man, it's Batman. <laughs> I'm Batman. Batman. Or I'm Bat-Man. Swear to me! I'm, Swear to Bat-Man. I'm, I'm Batman. 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 This <laughs> is actually a baseball term. <laughs> okay, August, bat- ni- August 1958. Oh, right. yeah. Superman number 123. Jimmy Olsen uses a magic totem to wish a Supergirl... Into existence as a companion and helper for Superman. Man, where was that when I was 14? Yeah, no shit. However, the two frequently get in each other's way until she is fatally injured protecting Superman from a kryptonite that a criminal has dropped towards him. Ah. At her insistence, Jimmy wishes the dying girl out of existence. (sighs) Ooh, that's dark. Oh, yeah. DC used this story... 
to gauge public response to the concept of a completely new female counterpart to Superman. In the original issue, she has blonde hair and her costume is blue and red like Superman's and definitely resembles the uniform Helen Slater had in the ill-fated 1984 movie. Ah. Uh, and early reprints of the story show her with red hair and orange and green costume to prevent readers from confusing her with the, the current Supergirl character. Is this That's, the Dark Phoenix? No. Um, <laughs> She's described like it. Later, the story was again reprinted in its original form. Perhaps the early reprints weren't purposely done that way, but, you know, because it's very easy to get colors off. You know, remember what happened with the Hulk? Oh, yeah, he was supposed to be green and, or supposed to be gray and turned green. There's a million things that I could talk about. What do you recall of the original Supergirl movie? A lot. I remember that Jimmy Olsen was in it, and there was, like, a vague possible romantic interest thing going on, but not really. Vague. Yeah. Well, see, it, it all had to do with sisters and cousins. Yeah. With... The 1984 movie, now I'm not going to look at the Wikipedia thing, I'm going to tell you what I remember. In the movie, we start with seeing Kara in what seems like a colony of Kryptonians that is obviously apart from Krypton because she's still alive. Peter O'Toole is there, being (laughs) slightly drunk. As he is in all film. (laughs) Yeah. And he has this um, sphere that I can't remember the name of. I, I will have to look that up. On, it's the, on the snow thing. globe from the, Citizen Kane. The snow Kane. globe from Citizen Kane. Let me actually get to it. Or it's the one David Bowie juggles with in Labyrinth. They really tried to connect it to the Superman movie series by getting Mark McClure to play Jimmy Olsen, who was the Jimmy Olsen in those movies. Oh, it was Argo City. That's what it was called. Ah, that's right, Argo. And the the uh, sphere was called the Omega Hedron. Yeah. The Tipiahedron. He's playing around with the Omega Hedron and creating things uh, with it to amuse her. And then he gives it to her to play with. And she creates this giant flying insect that then destroys one of the walls of their protected colony and uh oops wackiness ensues there are some similarities here to the comic book because her father in at least one of the lines of of the comic stories he warned Jarrell of the soon to be exploding planet situation mm-hmm. and it actually developed that argos would hover above the planet and be saved and it succeeded but only for so long And then they all died eventually anyway. And that's probably what happened to this colony. But anyway, Peter O'Toole seals up the hole in the wall, but the Omega Hedron got sucked out. And now she's got to go find it because it's a really powerful thing. And if somebody who is not so nice gets their hands on it. Right. That could be bad. Because it's kind of like an Aladdin's lamp from the sound of it. A a bit. You know what? This article uses the word eponymous way too much. (laughs) Stop it. They just discovered that word. Yeah, it's like everything. The eponymous Supergirl. The eponymous Supergirl. The eponymous comic series. The eponymous movie. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. The epididymous. Um, The epididymous. (laughs) Zoltar. That's... That's his name. I just I'm gonna keep calling him Peter O'Toole. Yeah, I think that's her dad. I can't remember. No, it's not her dad. No, because her name's 
Zorel? Zorel. Yeah, she's Zorel. Or something. The uh, thing, uh, naturally, of course, it, it goes to Earth because Earth and Krypton are like, you know, hop, skipping a jump from each other. Oh, yeah. And then Faye Dunaway and Brenda Vaccaro and the guy from, who was the, oh my God, connection. The guy who was the minister in Princess Bride. Oh. <laughs> They find it. They start doing weird stuff and shit. And anyway, so Kara lands on Earth, and she's near a girl's school. Oh, how convenient. Somehow, by walking behind trees, just changes her appearance to match the other girls' uniforms and gives herself brown hair. There's a bit of that in Superman 2. I know Darren really doesn't care for that, where Superman suddenly has powers that he never had before. Mm -hmm. Like being able to throw his S and have it wrap around people. Suddenly being able to multiply himself. Yeah, well, to be fair, all of those happened within the Fortress of Solitude, which I'm guessing it makes him more powerful. Yeah, and there's probably some holographic type instruments, too, where you could duplicate yourself. There's absolutely no explanation for why she can do that. No, she Um, just has powers, Period. She just enrolls in the school and uh, <laughs> gets matriculated without having a home address or any parents. Oh, oh, she makes one up. Oh, okay. She makes one up. And she. Damn she, illegal aliens yeah, coming she, and stealing our school jobs. Fucking bitch. So she calls herself Linda Lee. Uh, she, she goes to Santa Ana, starts porn business. There's too many L's, too much alliteration. She actually is roommates of Lucy Lane, <laughs> which is Lois Lane's. Lois Lane, Lucy Lane, sister. Lana Lang. Somebody had a thing for. Girls with L names. Lucy has a thing for Jimmy Olsen. Supergirl uh, just falls for a custodian because she doesn't know any better. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She likes a tidy room, okay? Uh, Yeah. It's a man who can clean up after himself. You don't see a whole lot of that on Krypton. So Faye Dunaway, she becomes more and more powerful with the Omega Hedron. And they put it in this weird sort of container. As it gets more powerful, the container gets bigger and bigger and bigger makes no sense. The Omega Hedron is still the same size. When it starts spinning, it's like rattling around the inside of this thing. Maybe it it wants to really be a ski ball. I don't know. Man, possibility. Selena manages to uh, stick Supergirl in the Phantom Zone. What? How the fuck would she even know about it? Because um, she has this sphere that tells her. And of course, she doesn't have any powers there, and everything's really oily. <sighs> what? A commentary on the oil industry? We don't know. And then uh, Zoltar's there. Oh, Zoltar. what a convenience, because he exiled himself. And then Tom as... Hanks goes up and wishes to be big. He doesn't realize Peter O'Toole is drunk. Right. And this is where Peter O'Toole just really doesn't even have to do anything, because he's just playing a drunk guy. He's made up this drink called Squirt, and he's just constantly drinking it and trying to get her to drink it. Long story short, he helps her escape in this weird pit that has a giant freaking tornado whirling around in it, protecting the exit. <laughs> Exit? No. There <laughs> with a little green no sign over exit. it with a little guy walking out a door. Yeah. <laughs> so in case there's a fire. She gets the Omega Hedron back and fucks over uh, Brenda Vaccaro and Faye Dunaway. And they never get their Oscars. In fact, I'm pretty sure they got Raspberry Awards for that. Yeah. Yeah, this was panned by critics. It, it's it's a terrible movie. It bombed in theaters it's as terrible. well. terrible. Kind of the reason why I haven't had a superhero female-led movie so far. Well, when you push out a piece of crap like that, that is not the thing by which you should gauge future projects. You can't put out one thing, 
say that it failed because it was about a woman when you fucked it up in the first place. Yeah, DC didn't quit after Green Lantern, did they? No, they sure as fuck didn't. And they didn't quit after uh, Man of Steel. They didn't quit after <laughs> Batman vs. Superman. They didn't, didn't quit after uh, Suicide, Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Suicide sodding hell. Yeah, anyway. She takes the Omega Hedron back to a darkened and dying Argo City, and it comes to life again. Omega Hedron. If you didn't fall asleep during that, I am so proud of you. I've seen the film multiple times because it was on HBO. I saw it in the theater. I was even bored then, but it was just something to watch, you know? It's like the Jackie Cation thing of I'd watch a test pattern if it was interesting enough. Well, and, <laughs> and that's the thing. I was really excited about it because I'm like, finally, female superhero. You know, we hadn't had any female superhero live action stuff since Wonder Woman, really. It'll be interesting to see how the Captain Marvel film pans out. Well, I think they did well in casting it. Yeah. Because I think Brie Larson is the bomb. She's she's cool. Then there was the incarnation of Kara in Smallville. I've seen bits of that. She's super bratty. She's always underdressed. It's basically walking cleavage. She looks like an American Iggy Azalea. Yeah. And, and I want to punch her in the throat. Isn't this around the 90s? Oh, yeah. It's in the 90s. So it was a bit... Well, actually, it was 2007 to right. 2008. It seemed like the 90s. Yeah, it's kind of reflective of what the character looked like, too, because they were really pushing the sexuality of characters in the 90s. Mm-hmm. It's something that they're trying to turn away from in, in modern comics. Just seeing a picture of her outfit, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's it's everything. It's everything I hate about it, the objectification of female superheroes. She could be a Dallas cheerleader for all that matters. Oh, yeah. Really short shorts, tube top, and a tiny little overshirt that doesn't even, you know, come around her body. It's basically a shrug. It's like going around with Ash trying to catch Pokemon, except without the suspenders. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest. I never liked Smallville. No. Didn't enjoy it at all. I tried to get into it in the beginning. Mm. Didn't like it. Tried to get into it later. Still didn't like it. It's just like, why is all this stuff happening in Smallville? Come on. I found Clark Kent's lips to be distracting. It always looked like he was wearing lip gloss or something. I just didn't care. I don't want to care. I don't want to know what happened in Smallville. Well, especially when every superhero in the DC Comics showed up there. It's like, are we ever going to Metropolis? Why is everything happening in Smallville? It's yeah. called Smallville for a reason. Nothing happens in Smallville. Yeah, why the fuck is Darkseid there? Why Jesus. the heck is Lex Luthor there? It's yeah, Smallville. It's, it's Smallville. and It's, it's supposed just... to be like nowhere Kansas. And I'm sorry, guys, if you like Smallville, okay. You know, you like what you like. I just don't understand the appeal. I never have and I never will. It's like if you decided to take all the Batman villains and a younger Batman and set it in, like, Topeka, Kansas or something. Actually, Topeka is probably too high tech. Oh, right. <laughs> so, trying to think of a small town. How about Hurricane, Utah? Hurricane, Utah. There we go. So, so I guess they could stop serial killers because they always come through here. There, of course, is a television series, which I think that's what we'll finish with. Oh, yeah. The current CW television series that used to be on what channel? CBS. CBS? CBS canceled it after one season, and thankfully the CW picked it up, which I said through the entire time of the first season it should have been on CW to begin it with. It should have been on the anyway because they had the rest of the DC Universe shows. So Yeah. Because Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow. I guess there's going to be a Constantine animated series now. Yeah, there is, and I am looking forward to that because they are not going to pull their punches. Though is it Constantine? Isn't that the proper way of saying it? I don't care. Nah, okay. 
I'm going to say it Constantine. Everybody says I, it Constantine. Yeah, I think the Brits get annoyed when people call it Constantine. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. But that's the only way I have ever heard it here. <laughs> well, as often as they mispronounce stuff. It's not Prius, guys. Ty Toyota calls it a Prius. It's a Prius. <laughs> it is not a Prius. <laughs> now, you may say, well, it's spelled. No, it doesn't matter how it's spelled. Toyota says it's Prius. Yes. Um, and it's not St. Louis. It's St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. Here are some of uh, Supergirl's friends and family. I cannot pronounce this first name because I don't know how. It's fucking Gaelic thing. Oh. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Silver Banshee. But I, do you know how to pronounce that? Because that's not pronounced how it's spelled. Siobin. Siobin? Siobin? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Gaelic's weird. It's yeah. like worse than French. And then there's Zorel and Allura Inze, which are Kara's biological parents. Zorel's younger brother of Jorel, etc. Streaky the super cat, Jesus. <laughs> Comet the super horse, fucking hell. Fred and Edna Danvers are her foster parents. They're the of the pre-crisis Supergirl. They adopt. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say pre-Christ. <laughs> pre-Christ. <laughs> it's Supergirl. like they're in the BC era. They're around Athens at the time. Well, she did sacrifice herself, so that is yep. very Christ-like. Well, so. So Superman, which is odd because he's created by a pair of Jews. It's interesting, the Christian metaphors around him. But then I guess the Messiah, too. So hmm. They adopt Linda Lee from the Midvale Orphanage. Really? I didn't know they were from Utah. That was, yeah, <laughs> that was one of the weirdest things Superman said is like, okay, I wanted you to lay low and pretend to be an orphan. He's like, you're going to send me, you're Superman, you're going to send me to an orphanage? Mm -hmm. And then after they adopt her, uh, Superman's like, hey, yeah, this is my cousin. She's got powers. Why does he so... just have his own foster mother raise her? God only knows. <sighs> anyway, Dick Malvern Dick. is one of her romantic interests at the orphanage. A little orphan action going on. A little orphan black. Jero the Merboy. Ugh. Woof. Uh, I mean, you couldn't even get Aqualad. If you can't land Aqualad, then you need to up your game. Another romantic interest. It was never going to work, guys. <laughs> yeah, he's half fish. Not the good half. And then Lena Thorl, who's uh, another orphan at Midvale Orphanage. I'll give you three guesses as to who she's actually related to. A Batman? Lena Lean. Thorl. Lena Thorl. That's not her real last name. Lena. Lena. I, you're digging a well where there's no water, so what, what's Lena? She's in the fucking TV series. I'm not the best with Lena Luther. Oh, see, I don't remember her first name. Why not? It's alliteration. Ugh. And they haven't gone back to that character in a while. Yeah, but even so, Lena, Luther, gosh. So. With all the L names? With Lois Lane and... Okay, let's just drop Lana it. Lang? We don't have time for this. <laughs> Actually, <Okay>. we do. <laughs> no, we don't. Because I haven't gotten through the enemies yet. Oh, okay. Enemies! Black Flame! A Kandorian who takes to a life of crime and fights Supergirl. A Kandorian demon? All the men the in, in my, my life keep getting killed by Kandarian demons. Yes. Why? Okay. That's what um, happens when you read the Necronomicon. Black Star, which is Rachel Berkowitz. She discovers the secrets of the unified field theory and employs it to manipulate reality as the leader of a group of neo-Nazis called the Party for Social Reform. So she's Scarlet Witch of the Nazis. Her name's Berkowitz and she's a Nazi? Yeah, that's pretty stupid, right? Mm. Okay. Blythe, an earthborn angel servant of Carnivore, 
who merges with the evil form of Matrix and later becomes an ally. Buzz. Buzz. Gaius Marcus sells his soul to Beelzebub, who goes on to become an agent for the Lords of Chaos. He would later become a shaky ally. Carnivore. <laughs> so he had Parkinson's? Carnivore is the son of Lilith and Beelzebub. Carnivian is the first vampire to walk the earth and usurp the rule of heaven. The Council. The Council? A clandestine criminal organization in Chicago that employs the director Matrix Prime and the gang. Literally, gang with a capital G. Gang. Hi. <laughs> right. Decay. Decay. Daniel Pendergast manipulates Psy into trying to destroy Chicago, only to be turned into a monstrous Whoa, slime Chicago. creature. Chicago, so not Gotham, not Metropolis, not Star City, not Central City, not National City, Chicago. Yeah, well, that's what I just said. The council was a criminal organization in Chicago. I hate it when DC does that. I know. It's like, go one way or the other. Either it's a real city or it's not. Ugh. Oh, oh, here we go. The Gang, a group of mercenaries whose members are Brains, Bulldozer, Ms. Mesmer, and Kong. That sounds like a winning team. It sounds like shitty superheroes all wrapped into one. And then it's Lesla Lar, another Kandorian demon. Another L name. <laughs> who tries to switch places with Supergirl on several occasions. Yeah, I love it when people try to switch places with the main character. That's always so much fun to watch. So it's single white female. Mm -hmm. hmm. Lilith. Another L name. Really, not fair here on Lilith. Um, the mother okay. of demons. Because she was the first L name, because she was the first woman, according mm. to the Old Testament. She wants revenge on Supergirl for destroying her son, Carnivore. Matrix Prime! And then oh. she had a fair name after her. Well, Matrix Prime, not to be Matrix confused Prime. with Liberty Prime and Fallout Or Optimus series, Prime. Is a powerful robot built by the council that acts as their agent collecting funds and eliminating <laughs> threats. Really? So it's so a... So it's Bagman. It's a bruiser torpedo type robot he's a shylock so he's basically rocky before he took up boxing again but yeah. in robot form boring you build a powerful <laughs> robot for that oh there's worse there's a roomba and there's self-checkout yeah but they're not sentient well it doesn't say it's sentient really yeah murmur murmur heart murmur murmur is a demonic servant of carnivore boy supergirl fights a lot of demons she has a lot of demons she should take it all out in her diary i think you know yeah. write it down and then burn it okay we're halfway done Nastalia Luther. Another Luthor. Yeah. Who's she related to? Uh, Lena? She, she, no, she's Lex's niece. I guess could be Lena's daughter. I don't know. Because that's how you get a niece is by a <laughs> By sibling, procreating? A sibling procreating. And you get double nieces through incest. So apparently she's uh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> Yuck, Dave. But uh, apparently she's Supergirl's rival. Princess Talaka, an Aztec princess who seeks triumph over Supergirl and restore the prestige of her civilization. Sounds boring. Sigh! Gail Marsh is a powerful psionic manipulated by Daniel Pendergast and trying to destroy Chicago. Chicago, the only real city in the whole DC universe. Yep. There's no New York. Nope. There's no Los Angeles. Yep. There's no San Francisco. Uh-huh. There's no Washington, D.C. Only Chicago. But there is Reactron. So I always thought Central City was Chicago. Reactron. Reactron. The living reactor. And a really good actor, because all acting is reacting. Yep. Seethes with radioactive energy and is able to generate concussive blasts and disintegration beams. And teaches improv classes on Thursdays. Absolutely. Yes and. Always yes and. <laughs> yes and. You're Pre indicating too much. Don't say no. He's not a robot. Pre-crisis, oh. he's an army surgeon. Army surgeon? His name's Reactron and he's not a robot? No! Failure. He's a living nuclear reactor. 
Uh, anyway, why is he, he nuclear man? He's shut up. Okay. <laughs> he is Army Sergeant Ben Crullin, who served with Tempest to be defined later and developed his powers because of the hero. Post crisis, he is Benjamin Martin Krull, like the movie. So he's and got his, a blade he can throw, and exactly, he's yeah. got a glaive. Glaive, and, too uh, glaive, too glaive. No, it's too glaive. Just we all know means too, too glaive. <laughs> and his origin is essentially the same as before. He murders Zorel. So fuck Moiderer. that. Guy. When they silver, met, silver, murder. silver banshee. Silver banshee. Aggressive enemy of Superman and the arch enemy of Kara and Linda Danvers. Superwoman. That's the. Lucy Lane becomes her father's agent against the residents of New Krypton, bringing her into conflict with Supergirl. Boring. Family stuff, who cares? Twilight, a new god who would curse the presence that's highlighted and capitalized and see Supergirl as a means of exacting avenge. Avenge? Revenge. And love triangles between people, werewolves, and vampires. Yep. She merges with Matrix and becomes an ally. By taking the red pill. Yeah. Then there was Power Girl, who was a version of Kara Zor-El from uh, Earth 2. And is very busty, as drawn by most comic book artists. Yeah, sexist pigs. Yeah. Then there's Laurel Gand. She was the post-crisis replacement for the pre-crisis Supergirl. So, after BC, AD. Younger version of Laurel takes a superhero codename Andromeda, or Andromeda, depending on who you ask. Andromeda, or something like that. Uh, Shortly before Zero Hour reboot of Legion... Legion. Of superheroes. And post-reboot, she remains Andromeda. Then Ariella Kent is Supergirl of the 853rd century. Who? Later revealed to be the daughter of post-crisis Linda Danvers and Silver Age-style Superman from the Many Happy Return story arc. That sounds disgusting. Ooh. Knocking boots. Knocking yeah. super boots. Gross. I am not even going to talk about the DC superhero girls because they disgust me. Oh, yeah. You're not liking that much at all. No, I'm really not. I'm trying to make Disney princesses out of the ladies of the DC universe. Yeah. It's just not working. And the dolls piss me off. Yeah, they're too Barbie-ish. Um, well, too girly. They look like... They look like, like Bratz dolls, but... But not as... Well, superheroes. Not as trashy as Bratz <laughs> Not as trashy, Bratz that's dolls. true. They're really trying to push that a lot. Just really annoying because it's this whole, oh, they're in high school. And Amanda Waller is the principal of Superhero High. And it's Wonder Woman and Batgirl and Supergirl and Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy and Katana and Bumblebee. And I don't fucking care. Just doesn't make sense for one thing. It's fan service and it's also writing down to girls. Because My Little Pony, Friendship as Magic, has proven that you don't have to write down to girls. No. In fact, it's so good writing that adult men enjoy the series. Hence the one sitting across yeah, from me. It's really great adventure stories with you know a touch of heart. So when you just take all your female characters and cram them into a high school. Uh, yeah. Though I guess there's Gotham Academy or something like that. That's a comic book series that's well acclaimed. That does kind of a similar thing. But in a more adult fashion. I'm an adult, so I don't really care about what these people did before. No. I don't want to read about teenage angst. We don't need to see baby Darth Vader. Never did. Never we wanted it. We don't need it. to see baby Batman. Never wanted it. There were some animation appearances and Superman the Animated Series, voiced by Nicole Tom. And uh, in Justice League Unlimited, she's in that as well. And then Superman Batman Apocalypse, which is a direct-to-video animated film. She was voiced by Summer Glau. Oh, nice. Was it canceled? (laughs) 
It was a movie. Okay. <laughs> they canceled the movie halfway through. Yeah, it was. It was I'm, yeah, oh no, just, Summer's curse has occurred again. It's not Summer's fault. No, it isn't. She's just had bad luck and been in series that are, I guess, too advanced for the network they're on. So that brings us to the Supergirl television series. Woo-hoo! Debuted in... 2015, and we joined Kara Zor-El already in progress. Yes. <laughs> well, we never really touched on the actual origin story, how she was sent off to protect Clark. Like all comics, there are too many different origins, right. depending on who has the mantle, and I didn't want to take the time to go through them all. So, yeah, basically, she was like 12 when Clark was a baby, right. and she was sent to Earth by her parents in a separate craft to protect him until he was strong enough to protect himself. She got stuck in orbit. No. In the television series, she got stuck in the Phantom Zone alongside that, that prison. I don't know if she was in the Phantom Zone. Let's find out. And I think that's why she was, was ageless. Yeah. Which is weird, because why would you lock up people where they don't age? Because eventually they're going to get out again. Oh, excuse me. She was 13. No, it was the Phantom Zone. It was knocked off course by the shockwave of Krypton's explosion. Right. It's knocked her into the Phantom Zone and stayed there for 24 years. Time stopped for her, basically. She doesn't remember any of it. The spacecraft somehow eventually escaped the Phantom Zone, and she was still 13. I think it was the prison break that also released her. Quite probably. Yeah. Then by the time she landed on Earth, Superman was grown up. And didn't need her. I already had a name for himself, and she was like, oh, they already have a hero, so I guess I'll just keep this secret. So, yeah, he he takes her to the Danvers family. They're friends of his. This series actually begins 11 years later with our 24-year-old Kara. She has been hiding her powers her whole life. Mm -hmm. There have been a few times where she helped because she, you know, people would have died. Yes. Like when she was a kid. And her older sister, Alex, is a real bitch at first. Yeah, in the first season, she's not that likable, but the character improves over time, especially in the move to CW. She's a lot more interesting. Well, she got really interesting about halfway through the first season. I started to really like her. Like when she and and Jean Jones were on the run, Mm -hmm. that was when I really went, oh, oh, okay. Now she's one of the cooler characters in the series. Yeah. I understand where the bitchiness comes from and i and it's purposeful i think because she has spent her entire life protecting kara's secret it's always been about kara it's never been about her yep that is a difficult thing to live with it's the older sister syndrome where you're caring for the baby and this is even compounded because the baby has superpowers and you have to protect that secret from the world and then when she decides suddenly to come out and be that superhero. Yeah, that's troublesome. Yeah, well, that's the thing. If it weren't for her, Alex would be dead because Kara chooses to use her powers to save Alex's plane that is going to crash. And as it turns out later, it was sabotaged. It was meant to draw Kara out. That's a long story. I could go back through season one, but there's some convoluted stuff in there, which is not saying that it's bad. It's just a lot to keep track of. Right. You see their relationship progress through that first season quite a bit that by the end of it you know they're really okay with each other yeah there's some confessions going on and you realize that they love each other very deeply and there are some assumptions each was having of the other and so some distance between the two of them yeah where there was suspected 
resentment when there really was none. It's more of loving too much to the point where you're overprotective and that comes off as being resentment. There's an episode where Kara is exposed to manufactured red kryptonite. Oh, yeah. And it turns her mean. It's far better than in Spider-Man 3 with the symbiote goo. She is so believable, it's frightening. Yeah, where she's flicking peanuts in that bar and just wrecking all their beer bottles in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And how she just goes out wearing all black, Uh etc. Because black is evil. It's one of those things where they, again, kind of give it training wheels because they give... Kara. Kara has a hologram of her mother, Allura. And her mother has a twin sister named Astra. And you can tell it's the twin sister because she has a streak of white in her hair. (laughs) Which is odd because she's a far better actress than the material suggested. Oh, yes. So I don't know if that was a direction issue. I think that it was. Though I think she's better geared to comedy. Which is weird because comedic actors can perform drama. It just... Oh, no. It must have been a direction issue. Yeah. Okay, could you say it like this? It's like, oh, you're really giving me line readings? Her dialogue is extremely stilted. Mm Mm-hmm. And she is, as Allura, she is very emotionless. You know, some people might say it's because of the hologram, but no. In any flashback, she is still emotionless. Yeah. The wonderful Laura Benanti played her. And I thought, oh, she's just not that good of an actress. But then I saw other things. Like her on Colbert, The Late Show. And I'm like, fucking hell, she's amazing. Duh. I think it's like they wanted her to play conflicted. But that's a really difficult thing to put across if you haven't shown the baseline. What are you like when you're not conflicted? And mm-hmm. so what you got was just an uneven performance. Supergirl starts working with the... The DEO, which is something from the comics. It's basically a Department of Homeland Security, but aliens are their focus. It's like the Defense of Earth Organization or something like that. But in season one, you know, they only tease Superman. You're hoping, are they going to use Superman from the movies? But no, they will never do that. Do you know why? Because the movie division of Warner Brothers has its head up its ass. Yeah, they're controlled by separate branches of Warner Brothers. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's a stupid idea to not take lessons from the very well-done television shows. But in season two, we finally get to meet Superman, played by... I hope I don't mispronounce his name, Tyler Hecklin. And he plays it exactly right, is that he's not taking Supergirl under his wing or anything like that. It's Mm-mm. like, you do your own thing. I'm doing my own thing. And just, you know, catch me up on family stuff. Because she remembers stuff of Krypton that he clearly doesn't, except, of course, you have the Fortress of Solitude mm-hmm. and... You're able to get a lot of information that way. So there's only so much. But she has memories and personal experience. Not that something the hologram will tell you, which is basically like reading Wikipedia. She can tell you a real Kryptonian story instead of a human story, but a Kryptonian story. It's very difficult to strike the right balance and do Superman well and also do Clark Kent well. And he fucking nails it. He nailed it. And the actor is somebody you could see playing a heavy really easily. But in the... Superman uniform, the Superman attitude, he did really well. He managed to be that Boy Scout without being annoying, which is what you want in Superman. You don't want him to be a cartoon character, so to speak, you know, where his goodness is kind of a joke. 
Yeah. It's like, no, he's just a decent person. And somebody described Superman in a wonderful way, because a lot of people find the character boring because he can do anything. He's got all the powers. Imagine you live in a world where everything around you is cardboard. The restraint Superman must live with mm -hmm. to avoid injuring anyone or damaging anyone. The amount of control of his emotions. He can't get all that mad at anything because if he ever let loose and that's batman's thing especially mm -hmm. in the batman versus superman thing is what if you lose it yeah what if you go nuts and decide to take it out no nobody's going to survive so i've got to stop you before you do that trying to win a war before it starts mm -hmm. is not the way to do yeah. things so yeah maybe you should have spent more money to bring down the crime rates in gotham rather than wait till after the fact and then go after the criminals but mm. <laughs> yeah well to be fair the same is true of kara she's had to hide these powers and learn how to live like a human. And she didn't get raised that way. She had to learn, you know, from 13 on. That's something with Supergirl, as they've always had her somewhat more flawed than Superman. Like, she's still learning. But I like that she relies on others. And that's, like, the lesson she learns. Because, yeah, Superman, he's got that... The Lonely God Syndrome that you bring up with DC characters. Yeah. But with Supergirl, she finds her place within a team with the help of friends and stuff like that. And you could say, well, that's kind of a ding against a female character because shouldn't she be independent? But there's a strength in accepting help. The theme that keeps coming back to her is when she doesn't accept help, things go badly. It's always more interesting to have a team. It certainly gives you more diversity and more interesting stories to tell because when you're following just one single character throughout, I think you uh, start scraping the bottom of the barrel pretty soon. I mean, if you have it just Spider-Man and that's all you're telling stories, so it's like, there's only so much we can do before Doc Ock inhabits his consciousness and you get superior Spider-Man or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> they fit a lot of shit into season one because the main overarching plot is Ostra... Ostra? Ostrich. Ostrich? Ostrich. Astra? Aunt Astra. I was trying to say Aunt Astra, and it came out Ostra. <laughs> the Omega Hedron? <laughs> so Ostra. <laughs> and her husband, Non, who's uh, not a uh, mute brute. Um, <laughs> no, he's not. He's actually a very handsome guy, Mr. Chris Vance. They want to save the world by taking it over. You yeah, know? yeah, eliminate the human race and then inhabit it as Kryptonians yeah. on Earth. Whenever you seek to decimate a current group of people, that is not ever a good idea. Well, they're kind of eco-terrorists back on Krypton because the reason Krypton was going to explode is the way they were treating the planet. And they saw human beings doing the same thing to Earth. Yeah. So essentially, they're eco-terrorists on Earth as well. You don't save a planet by hurting it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we have a strained relationship, the Earth and humans. Yeah. Well, it's like George Carlin said, the Earth's fine. It'll shake us off like a bunch of fleas oh, yeah. and then move on. It's not the issue that the Earth is dying because of us, is we're dying because of us. Yeah. And Earth will no longer sustain us. So It's just an eventuality. <laughs> so technically, the Kryptonians could have just played the waiting game. They could have, but they weren't going to. Yeah, the human race would eliminate itself over well, time. Well, when you are so convinced that you're the good guys, mm -hmm. and yet you will stoop to murder and terrorism in order to achieve your goals, you're not the good guys anymore. Well, it sounds a lot like a certain political organization that symbol is the elephant, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sure does. And it's like, oh, we're the good guys. Then why does everything you do seem so evil? Mm-hmm. 
It's, that, it's all a protection of the United States. That is no longer the United States because we no longer stand up for what we originally believed in. You say you got to get your hands dirty to, to clean things up. I'm sorry, Alexander Pierce. I don't <laughs> hold with your ideals. <laughs> Break a few um, eggs to make an omelet. Yeah. Like, hmm. We have the DEO. They, they want to put Supergirl away. And Alex is like, no, we need, we need She's her. She's an asset. We need her. She's an asset. Mm-hmm. The boss, Hank Henshaw. There's some stuff going on with him. I cannot talk about that because it's part of another underarching plot. <laughs> yeah, so we're trying to avoid most spoilers here. There's a few things, but they're the major arc that you could probably pick up on anyway. Yeah. Martian Manhunter. <laughs> That's how I know him. They did, when they were on CBS in that first season, they did have a crossover episode with The Flash because The Flash was starting to bounce between universes and he accidentally ends up in Supergirl's universe. And the funny thing is, is of course, neither of them had heard of the other. And it was so funny and so cute. In Supergirl, there's no metahumans. Mm-hmm. And in the Flash universe, there's no aliens until they had the big crossover. And then there were aliens, which is odd. Aliens are always going to come into it. <laughs> Eventually. If it's a superhero comic, aliens are going to come into it. Yeah, I suppose so. It was just interesting that their world, you know, aliens was a big surprise. And then her world, metahumans, was the Well, that just oddness. shows the differences between them. We also have, in season one, we have uh, Cat Grant played by uh, Felicity Callista Flockhart. She was brilliant. Catco Industries. Especially after they actually made her eyebrow show up. <laughs> the pilot episode is like, she, oh, guys, guys, I don't know what you did in makeup, but you need to fill in her eyebrows. She has eyebrows. Just darken them a little. Mm-hmm. And I, ca- I miss her. I do miss her. Yeah, um, when they moved to the CW, they... Basically wrote her out after a couple of episodes. I don't know if that was her choice or if that was their choice or if it Mm. was a mutual thing. Yeah. Though to put Jimmy Olsen in a leadership role was an interesting choice. They made an interesting choice in casting Jimmy Olsen because they make him a man. He is a very attractive black man. He is not a boy. He's a man. He's very built and playing a role in less of a sidekick capacity. Yeah. Um, There's Wynn. Love Win. Didn't love Win at first. Didn't like him at first. He was bland. Just not all that interesting. Well, and then about halfway through season one, we find out more about his backstory, and he became interesting. Well, we've already spoiled it in a previous episode, I think, when yeah. you're discussing Supergirls, that he's the son of the toy maker. Mm-hmm. And so his father is a supervillain. Yep. And that that stain on his family name is the reason he does what he does. And so he joined the DEO, and he's third text support guy you know he's their inventor their computer expert that yeah. sort of thing they're the resident nerd well he shows a knack for it early on when he designs car's outfit right and of course there's um there's the misses you know the the few first few tries which were like no well, well that no. shows the scientific method is yeah yeah and it, it was a nice touch because it was kind of rom-com-ish where you're in different outfits and you mm-hmm. step out and go, okay, this is barely covering me. I'm not going to be wearing this and fighting in this. This and, is ridiculous. Yeah. And so they, they give her, you know, the traditional blue top with the S and the red skirt and the red boots, but she has tights on. She does not have bare legs. See, I I forget whether she's wearing tights or not. She is. Okay. She is. Um... In fact, if I find a picture of her, I will show you. Because I know she's kind of in a somewhat darker blue to be a little 
similar to the style of the filmic yeah superman see she has tights right so are those red tights or no tights? they're black black tights okay that's odd mm-hmm. well i think they're they're just you know what was on hand i like her boots because they come up over her knees like yeah. armor the color isn't as drained as it is in the movie universe. well they, they don't do as drastic of a color correction which i hate when they do in film anyway it's, yeah you filmed it to be a certain way just let it be that Unless you're just tweaking the color to make it look nice. But if you're draining all color out of your film, just film in black and white at that point. We don't yeah. need it sepia toned or blue filtered like the Underworld series. And it honors the uh, 1984 movie design because this, the design is very similar. Right. And uh, and Helen Slater actually appears uh, in the series as Kara's mom. And Dean Cain appears in the series as Kara's dad. Foster mom and dad, I should say. The Danvers. Yeah, the Danvers. And that just tickles me. And, uh, yeah. The, it's fun when they include people like that. And I have a, an announcement that you may not have heard. Okay. But there's going to be a new big bad in town. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be played by Terry Hatcher. Nice. So, that made me really happy. Because <laughs> she's really good at being bad. If you guys don't know why that's cool that Terry Hatcher is going to be on there, then, oh my God, what's wrong with you? Lois and Clark, guys. Yeah, Lois and Clark, come on. The only Lois Lane I've liked. Absolutely. But yeah, I love the series. Yeah, the Supergirl series is great. It's got the same tone as a lot of the other CW shows, though Arrow is the darkest of them. Even it has its humor. And it does it very well. Yeah. And uh, the DC television shows are really being progressive because they are having characters of different sexualities mm-hmm. and uh it's it's just so it's done just so naturally yeah and except unless you're a, a stupid bitchy mom <laughs> it doesn't like the <laughs> lesbian relationships because she has to explain it to their kids which who should know what a like other than cisgendered relationship is yeah, it's, uh, th- there's, of course, an official Supergirl CW account on Twitter, and this mother tweeted at them, please tone down the homosexual messages. I used to watch this with my girls, and now I have to explain this to my 7-year-old and my 10-year-old. And they said, good, explain to them as love is love, no matter where you find it, mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So, well played. And it's a difficult world to live in alone, to find somebody mm-hmm. you can go through the world with is a great thing well and it makes sense with with it being alex because of her suppression of everything to yep. protect kara she never had time to figure it out she was so busy protecting her sister's secret that she couldn't even deal with her own to the point where she was ignoring the feelings she was having yeah she was suppressing them repressing them yep and uh so yeah so to come out of the closet was a very positive thing for the character and she's relaxed a lot since then yeah well i i have liked her very much since the mid season one yeah i agree um and i love her girlfriend yeah they're well matched they are very well matched and for once i am convinced of the passion between two women on screen oh yeah because usually when two women kiss it's just for a titillating reason, it's not all that passionate. The most passionate same-gender kisses I've seen on screen is usually man-on-man. Man. Yeah, yeah. Because they commit to it. Yep, and I don't know what it is 
Um, maybe it's because they didn't want to be, the actresses didn't want to be forced into this, etc. Didn't uh, agree to it. Whatever the case may be, it's just, it's never been believable for me until them. It's like, wow, you guys figured it out. Orange is the Black manages it okay. Well, I haven't watched that and I'm not going to watch it because it's too hard. Yeah, there are bits that you really struggle with. So it's just too hard. It's the same reason why I can't watch Breaking Bad. It's just too hard. Mm -hmm. It's less intense than Breaking Bad, but there are still moments that are like, ugh. Yeah, well, I'm one of those people that I will dwell on those sort of things mm-hmm. for days or weeks. Which still kills me that you like Man in the Iron Castle because... High Castle. Oh, that's oh, High Castle. See? Names. It's so bleak. Yeah, but it's alternate universe quantum stuff. Oh, okay. Well, you can consider the same thing about Breaking Bad. <laughs> this is all taking place in a quantum reality, so you're really not too concerned about it. It speaks to that post-apocalyptic thing thing in me oh the alternate history thing too so it's all very fallout it speaks to me on that level and the acting is top notch yeah it is really bleak but it doesn't affect me in the same way on the topic of supergirl before we move on is you are totally in love with her new little boyfriend yeah let's talk about monel so (laughs) yeah he's from a neighbor planet a planet where they Daxum. had slaves, strangely enough. It was a party planet. <laughs> yeah, it's it was like frat boy planet. It's a yeah. bunch of spoiled rich kids, and the Kryptonians would make fun of them and vice versa. A pod lands with, uh, with Mon-El in it, and they take him to the DEO and wait for him to wake up. But he's played by Chris Wood, and oh my god, I love this guy so much. He's very natural. He is so natural, and I swear... Probably about 30% of the things he does are improv He has a Paul Rudd quality to him. Yeah, he, he does in a way. Yeah. Um, but he's just, he's so adorably awkward. Yeah, he's not picked up on human culture, even in the weeks he's been on the show. Yeah, he still well, hasn't quite grasped. Well, that's the thing. There's a lot to learn. There is a lot to learn. There is so much to learn. Yeah. The and he's is, not the type that would sit and read or watch no. the internet. Oh, God, no. Whenever he doesn't know something, it's he does it so naturally that you don't ever roll your eyes. You just go, oh, yeah. you're so cute. Mm-hmm. And the kind of life he is used to is very different than the way things are done on Earth. Oh, definitely. And there's uh, there's coming subplots about him. Well, we knew that would happen eventually. Very clear. Well, just the way he behaves... You're, you know that he's used to getting his way and doing what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. He's pretending to be somebody he's not, for one thing. Because he's like, so, supposed to be maybe a servant or something, but I think he's actually royalty. I think he is the prince. I think you're right. Yeah. I, Rather than the prince's aide or what have you. Guard. Guard, yeah. Uh, whatever. Because he doesn't come across as a royal guard at all. No. Comes no. across as a spoiled rich brat royal child so it's not like a secret they're keeping all that well yeah we'll see because we've only seen one flashback of his life and that was when daxum was being destroyed by krypton's destruction yeah uh so you you can take not a whole lot of fact from that but he was trying to put what we assumed was the prince in the pod and the prince tricked him into getting into the pod and sent him off. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so hmm, there's definitely something special about him. Special. But he's he's like one of my favorite people. Oh my god, the dimples. And the blue eyes and the adorable ski jump nose. He has a cute little ski jump nose. 
And he's just, he's hot. It's so fun to watch someone that good looking be so adorably awkward and vulnerable and do it convincingly. So well done, Chris Wood. It's a little check in that regard. A little bit. Being somebody really handsome, that's somewhat awkward. That's a very good analogy. So I think that wraps up Supergirl nicely in its shiny cape. Despite her rocking, rocking? Rocky, Rocky. Rocky Balboa. Despite her Balboa beginnings. Yes. She rocks it now, and I'm so glad that the CW picked her up because... Oh, we didn't even talk about how much I love Melissa Benoist. Oh, my God. She is perfect casting. Even her little blemish Mm -hmm. is just adorable. She makes little scrunchy faces. She's very expressive. Oh, yes. And a lot of her acting comes through her face and through her gestures, her body language. Yes. And even in her mild-mannered reporter mode it's very convincing i wouldn't call her a mild-mannered reporter no she's pretty <laughs> she's spicy she's, she's quixotic or quixotic is don quixote yeah why do we ever say quixotic the x is not pronounced that way in the name so don't say quixotic yeah she likes to tilt at windmills so you know, <laughs> any issue it's like i'm gonna tackle this thing people need to know about this yeah so yeah she's she's a journalist with a cause which is sadly lacking these days for most and it's so funny that ian gomez is playing her editor <laughs> And the more passionate she gets, the more it seems he's reluctant, but the more he's like, yeah. He, he, this, the, the more passionate he gets, the more perturbed he acts. Yeah, but. But at, he's acting. Mm-hmm, he's like, yeah, you go, girl, mm-hmm. in his own heart. It's like, he's, yeah, this is exactly what he wants her to be. He's kind of crafting her into that. Yeah, he's, he's pushing her. By putting up obstacles because that's what. That's how you grow. What seems to encourage his encourage her i mean if he said just go do it he's like she's gotta fight for something you know she's got that justice streak in her so if you put up a a minor roadblock to get past to get to the major one it's like strangely encouraging in the way he discourages her he's hard on her because he knows she's got great potential Mm -hmm. she doesn't realize this yet that that's what he's doing and i just love that yeah eventually she'll pick up on it and it's like hey all this time i just i love it i love it so, but yeah, Melissa Benoist, I love her. Um, I think she's perfect for Supergirl. Oh, yeah, clearly. And she's perfect for Kara. Yep. I don't think they could have cast her any better. And I've seen photos of her in costume with some young girls around her, like she's doing charity work and that sort of thing. Well, she so. was there at the Women's March on Washington. Awesome. So, yeah, she's, I, I just really enjoy her a lot really think she's brilliant and i like looking at her (laughs) she's adorable she is indeed with her ginormous blue eyes really big blue eyes like comets like comets (laughs) shout outs shout outs Hey! hey my shout out is to calvin he's worked really hard to put this wedding toast show together and he'll be running the tech too, so I'm going to have like a month off. <laughs> Except for the, the 25th. So. so Calvin. Yeah, Calvin. He's yep, awesome. Calvin, improv instructor, did a little bit in Chicago, I think with Second City, didn't he? A little bit with uh, Iowa West in uh, LA. Well, it wasn't a little bit. He was there for a while. He was there for a while. You know me, an understatement. Yeah, you're great at and it. And you, ten- you tend to overstate. I tend to understate. So I think together we balance. Mm, that's not how that works. <laughs> 
that is not how that works. Well, you oversell things, I undersell things, and so it hits but right in never, the middle. But we're never overselling or underselling the same thing. That's <laughs> the problem. Can't get this to turn off. We have this light up Death Star kind of thing that kind of looks like the hologram of the Death Star. And it has changeable lights, so it does different colors. And apparently you can somehow get it to strobe through the lights. But it's not clear on what you do to do that. There, I turned it off. Okay. It wasn't Is that what you were off. trying to do? I was trying to turn it okay, off. Okay, I thought you were trying to do the strobe effect. No, I was trying to turn it off. It would not turn off. Yeah, it makes no sense. It's like a touch style turn on thing. So yeah, Calvin really pushed us to do characters because that's what the wedding toast is all about lately. So developing the... Uh, Manner of which to create a character, to find the hook of that character, you know, it's the kernel of what that character is and narrow it down to that thing. And so you can come and play that character in various ways. And even other people come in and pick up on that character's kernel. You know, what is that thing? Yes. I will admit for about the first year that I knew Calvin, I was intimidated. Not in a bad way. But I'm just like, I'm never going to be this level. I'm never going to be good. Well, seeing him perform with Off the Wall, when he did a pantomime of hanging himself. <laughs> well, it was murder mystery. Yeah, it was so specific. And he has this thing about pantomime, if you want a three-touch rule, which is you want to touch the object in three different ways. And that shows you what the dimensions are. And it also gives your partner a better clue of what you're holding. What you're holding, where it is, and how it's positioned. And so when he's... Tying a rope and putting it around his neck and getting on a chair to hang himself. And then pantomiming, kicking around and flopping around like he's choking to death. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I started laughing early on because I knew exactly what he was doing. It was like the audience had no clue. And I'm just like, how can you not see where this is going? Mm -hmm. Where is your imagination? Or maybe it's just because I am a dark person. <laughs> and also when he gets a hold of a weird or dark character... It's like he seems to really enjoy that as well. It's because they're the most fun. Yeah, you can really lay it on thick. Thumbs so, up, so Calvin. Calvin. My shout out is Calvin's counterpart, Danielle. Danielle. Danielle Susie. Who uh, ran the Planned Parenthood improv show that I sadly missed because I was hacking up along. And I didn't want to leave you home alone. Yeah, I was really sick. I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much knowing you were homesick. So, so. still, we did provide them some money to. To donate, yeah. Donate to Planned Parenthood. Danielle is uh, Calvin's partner in crime and life. I don't want this to sound the wrong way. She is a formidable woman. You do not fuck with Danielle. Well, I think that goes with most of the Sasquatch cowboy ladies. Because you think of Caitlin, you think of Chelsea. Mm -hmm. You don't really want to cross any of them. Because they're strong, willed, independent, powerful, creative women. Uh, she knows what she wants and she gets it. Yeah, that she, is what she does. She's a motivator, a doer. So yeah, yeah, I definitely somebody that gets things done. I enjoy Danielle very much. I am glad she came here. Yeah, and she complimented you on your hosting too when you emceed the most recent quantum comedy show. And I appreciated that because she'd never seen me emcee. Grant, uh, to be fair, she'd probably never seen me do anything except for the zombie sketch show and just. Being in quantum comedy stuff. Well, you excelled in the zombie sketch show, too. So the time she's seen you, you've been excelling. That's what I do all the time. Yeah. No, I'm just well, kidding. That's not, that's not true. I mean, Nobody there, excels There's all the an time. allure of the stage for you. So it's Danielle's about awesome. They're a power couple. Following power your couple. List. Yeah, Chris and Chelsea, and then Calvin and Danielle. 
the power couples. Yep. There's quite a few power couples yep. in and around the Zig and the Comedy Loft. Is that it? That is it. We managed to fill out the show, so woohoo! Oh, I could have gone on for another half hour. Well, there is so much information. Eh, if we ever need to talk more Supergirl, I guess we can get around to it. Right or maybe now. it'll end up just being in reviews or something. Could be. All right, so that's it for this episode, and we'll catch you in two weeks' time or so. Thereabouts. Thereabouts. That's usually the scheduling. Yep. All right, so laters. Bye. The intro to the Dark Corner podcast is starting over again by the Dolly Rocks. The outro is Closure by Chemical Waves. You're listening to them right now. Have feedback? Send it to thedarkcornerpod at gmail.com. You can also hit us up at the Dark Corner Podcast Facebook group and the Dark Corner Podcast fan page. Follow us on Twitter at Dark Corner Cast. If you have the chance, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Why not also check out other fine podcasts on gentlemansgrindhouserecords.com. Speaking for Dr. Brandy Sexy Voice, I've been Evil Dave. Thanks for listening. Gentlemen'sGrindhouseRecords.com. Cat just licked his chops at me. He's looking at me like I guess I'm dinner or something. Oh, there he is on my lap. He's just, you're doing something without me. I must intrude.